Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm the former host, Matthew Rodriguez. And I'm Ian Carlos Crawford. Hello, Matthew. Hi. Oh my you're god, like, I'm so happy to be here. You're like Angel coming back at the end. Give me a little <laughs> smooch on the forehead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we also, this is a nice little reunion episode. Uh, joining us, we have managing editor at primetimer.com. Joe Reed. I always forget that I have to say my name in this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Joe Reed is the name. <laughs> and in this corner, we have writer and uh, my former podcast husband. Uh, Anthony Oliveira. Uh, Joe, I'm so glad you screwed it up before I screwed it up. <laughs> that makes me very happy. It makes me very happy to hear all these voices again. Hello, everybody. I know, Anthony, I will great. always be here to screw up before you screw up. That is the pledge uh, that I make to you. <laughs> Behind the scenes, I've already screwed up for like half an hour of delay while everyone <laughs> waited for me to get a laptop that worked. So, <laughs> Anthony, uh, I am impressed that you told us that you had not opened Chrome since the last time you recorded with me, I, which was at least a year ago. <laughs> I am truly just the stupidest human. I don't know how to work anything in the world. I just stumble ass backwards through life. And I'm just... <laughs> Very happy the stars alliance that I could be here again today. Hi, everybody. <laughs> hi. Hi. I'm so happy to have all you boys here. Um, this is a nice little reunion episode. Um, we're here to talk Buffy season seven's end of days. Um, I'm here. I, I, it's very weird that it's like, this is the second to last episode of Buffy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Congratulations. Thank all. you. Thank you. <laughs> Truly, um, though, very... Ian, like uh, quite the accomplishment to shepherd this podcast through the whole series and and changes and pandemics and and all this sort of stuff like tipping my hat hey mm-hmm. thank you i appreciate that um it feels like an eternity ago that the three of us were like in my brooklyn apartment i doing know this podcast crazy huddled around <laughs> like literally huddled around a little recorder and just uh yep. uh, yeah humble beginnings Whenever anyone's like, oh, this episode, because when we tra- when I transferred hosting sites, I really have no idea why or how or even how I would have fixed it. But like a lot of the like season one and two episodes just didn't transfer. Like they're randomly just not there in the feed and they're just yeah. lost forever. Um, and anytime someone's like, oh, I miss I'm like, well, the sound quality was really terrible. Don't worry. <laughs> but- <laughs> well, you know, our first episode still had a higher budget than Buffy's first episode. <laughs> yes. True. True. The mic alone. And we only had to record our first episode once. We didn't have to go back and, uh, and redo <laughs> That's it. That's true. I think at least. That's true. Even though <laughs> people no one got hard recast. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, kind of. I kind of, <laughs> kind of. I kind of original willowed my way out of uh, out of the show. You are our riff region. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, but you did that yourself. We didn't recast oh, I, you. Yeah, I fully did that myself. It was, yes. I mean, we don't have to tell that story, but it was one of those just like, I don't have any time to do anything. Oh, God. <laughs> And the yeah. first episode, we still say uh, Three Slayers No Waiting, because that was the original That was the original game. title. Have you said that on the podcast before, that that was the original title? I like that title. I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think I have. Because, yeah. um, I mean, it still says it in that first episode. We still say yeah. Welcome to Three Slayers No Waiting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anything to but allow yeah. us all to break into our Bianca Lawson, uh, Kendra accents as much as possible. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I uh, will have to leave immediately. Can we tell you we're doing the entire episode in Kendra voice? Avow no? all, no, hard. I will. No, I can't. Uh, like, we're getting the deep podcast. lore today, though, which is yes. appropriate for this episode. Very the, true. Yeah, very lore. The heavy. Secret origins are surfacing. <laughs> 
discussing in the meta text as well. <laughs> like this episode, this lore that you're learning about the podcast will never come back and right <laughs> will not be applicable <laughs> to anything else. No, yeah, <laughs> apply it again. So we the, this I. Matthew, I know we, I'm positive I've probably talked about this with all three of you before, but I do feel like they're trying to recapture the season five end momentum of like one right after the other. Oh shit, oh shit, crazy things are happening. It doesn't quite get there, but I also feel like in a lot of ways, this whole thing about going back to the beginning, and we talked about this a lot with early seasons, is that like yeah. season one is obsessed with codexes and prophecies and. Yeah. Just like things that are supposed to happen. And so I also, aside from season five, I do feel like they are going back to the season one philosophy of like, you know, everything about the Slayer is written in some book in a library somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And like. Or an Angel Fire website. (laughs) In this case. Holy mackerel. (laughs) The the vibes I was getting off of that website were really amazing. The little like (laughs) buttons that like depress like buttons when you click them. Like that whole aesthetic. I know we're not even there yet, but can I just say, like, it's always <laughs> so funny to me when the show really tries to dumb down Willow and, yeah. like, uh, Giles explaining that stuff about, like, basic... A hieroglyph? Like, hieroglyph. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what a hieroglyph is? <laughs> a glottal, whatever, the uh, a glottal <laughs> utterance or something like that? Like, yeah. I'm like, Willow probably knows lingu- linguistics, probably knows what a glottal stop is, and probably, kn- like, knows about something about... I mean, I mean, Dawn reads ancient Sumerian. I'm sure. <laughs> right. That's really true. Yeah, at this point in the show, they're all essentially just, like, Indiana Jones times 20 in terms of their <laughs> yeah. knowledge of ancient everything. Yeah. I believe last week she casually revealed she now reads in Turkish. I was yes. like, oh, good, good for her. Really an excelling 16-year-old. <laughs> It's a good thing they pulled her out of Sunnydale High because she was not getting an education <laughs> yeah. like that. There. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, I imagine you being that teen that's like, oh, yeah, I just figured I it out. I love a 10-minute disquisition on the nature of glottal stops in the middle of your fantasy episode. I'm happy to have it. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> so this episode picks up right where the last one left off. We get the faith and... Adam Sass said in the episode he came back to Charles that like, well, Faith gets put in charge, but then they catch a bomb in the mouth. And they literally mm. like, yeah, it's like, I I know we all probably feel the same way. Like it's, I hate that they kicked Buffy out. It barely makes narrative sense. Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm really? I'm so glad they did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> no, uh, I do. I, I actually dislike the way that the plot multiple times contrives to make Buffy correct, even though it has not earned that whatsoever and like cheats and conspires to make Faith's instincts wrong. Like, well, we were I, talking I it, about this sort of uh, off off on our own, Anthony, right? That that, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to pull you into the spotlight with me on this show. But. <laughs> no, I will take that. I will take that bullet. That uh, that uh, that episode uh, marked a, a workers' uprising and the show and the fans all decided to come down on the side of management and yeah. feel like. That shows anti-union now is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, there is a kind of quality to season seven where it is kind of pro-management, right? Like, and I I mean, it says so, right? Like, this is not a democracy. Democracies don't win wars is a line (laughs) of dialogue on the show, right? So there is a weird way um, and is, is the reason I struggle with season seven in general, even though this was a show, obviously, that was so formative for me, but um and I guess the way to think about it positively is that I feel like this is a real encapsulation of early 2000s politics, where it is like, 
America was very hawkish and all about the Iraq war. And we go to war with the generals we have and like, right. don't undermine the war effort. Right. And there's a lot of that theme, which really is really so on the surface funny, of the season. It's so funny because like Buffy was always very heavily al- allegorical, obviously, but mm-hmm. it would never felt like it was current events. It was never like Battlestar Galactica levels of like, right. this is an allegory about current events. And I don't even feel like, you could tell me that like the writers and producers of season seven of Buffy had no active intention of writing in allusions to the war in the middle East for this, but the fact, the way it like seeps into the groundwater of culture at this portion Mm -hmm. in time, whereas like even if not trying to be about it, it's this attitude is sort of just like it seeps in and it's, and it's very kind of fascinating. Well, and I mean, Jane Espenson goes on to work on Battlestar Galactica, right? Like this show. Yeah. And I mean, authors don't get to decide what they were writing about, right? Like that's right. (laughs) But but there is a way that in a, a like you said, like the allegory of this show so obviously becomes about that material and comes down on a weird side of it that I just never know what to make of it. Well, well it's fascinating on, as a time capsule, but when I was on the storyteller so, um, episode, wait. and I don't remember if I mentioned this specifically, but I thought like one of the things, cause like other Buffy seasons, like season five was about how weird it was to, you know, leave the nest and go to, go to college and like season four is sort of like that too. And a lot of season seven felt like it's a story about how much it sucks to be the boss. And like, Buffy in the early years was like using high school as an allegory and then like using like leaving high school as an allegory. But by the time she's still only college aged and it's weird to like now right. all of a sudden we feel like we've leapt forward several stages in life. <laughs> she's 46. Like, yeah. It's just like, God, it sucks <laughs> to be in charge of all these employees. And it's just like, that's not a concern of like, it just, it feels like we've moved so far beyond. And now it's just like the people in charge being like, I hate being the boss. Blah, blah. It's just, it's well, just, it's no, an odd fit. To go, back, to go back, Anthony, what you were saying, there's a part, it happens, I believe, in empty places that sounds very weapons of mass destruction, where she's talking about how like the villains always go where the power is and we have right. to go to inspect to see if they have this weapon. And no one else kind of believes her. So Buffy is like this like she's the yeah. UN weapons inspectors. Yeah. The weapons she it, well, there's this other it, it reminds me of I don't know if anyone has read the original essay of Rebecca Solnit's Men Explain Things to Me, which does not use the term mansplaining, but gave rise to the term mansplaining. And in it, she talks about how, like, the she she imagines that maybe there was, like, this one woman in the room who was telling all the men that, like, there weren't any weapons of mass destruction, but, like, they didn't listen to her because she was a woman. And it also kind of reminds me of that, of, like, this idea that, mm-hmm. like, it's well, Buffy's kind of doing the opposite of being, like, no, there are plenty of, like, hawkish women who want right. to go in. And like are very willing to spare the lives of lactose intolerant girls from China in order mm. to get shit done. Yeah. And I mean, even at the even at the macro level of the plot, it is about preemptive war, right? Like right, right. the whole message of season seven is we have to take the battle to them before they're allowed to attack attack us, right? Like that she goes down into the seal, all of that is just I just never know how to coordinate the meaning of the season, but I find it fascinating. And I must admit, I found it watched, it kind of binged watched better than I thought Mm. it would. I started with Dirty Girls and 
watched up to the finale and it's like because they blend together so much as episodes yeah um oh especially the run that that of Dirty girls through end of days feels like one episode yeah, yeah like i just watched this episode twice and i will still struggle to remember what happens in this episode <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, i mean i remember so i mean if when you watched when we all watched buffy when it was on and i remember Starting with Dirty Girls, they kind of did that count every week of like, there's only yep. seven yeah. episodes of Buffy yep. left. Yep. And I remember, you know, I'm sure we all had that feeling of like, okay, why the fuck are they introducing a preacher with like eight episodes left? And he's right. supposed to be like this huge deal. And, but he's just coming to town in episode 16 or 15 of the, of the season. Right. right. Very right. like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, and like they also played Michelle Branch in every one of those promos. <laughs> Goodbye to you. <laughs> I do uh, think that of the two Firefly graduates, I do think that the Angel Jasmine thing is the better yes. late introduction Definitely. of like yeah. I owe you an apology for Firefly being canceled. You right, know, like right. Whereas See, it's, it's the it's the Cobra health insurance. Oh, Anthony, you're, you're not American. <laughs> right. Maybe you don't feel this as much in your bones as I do. But it's yeah, it's you've you've lost your job, but Cobra will still cover you for another eighteen months, and that's sort of what the, the Jasmine and uh, and yeah. whatever the preacher in this were. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I love Jasmine. I like things about Caleb as a character design. Caleb. I like. I actually wonder if he would be more interesting if he were less physically imposing. Like yeah. if he were just a dweeby incel energy kind of thing who just happened to be super strong and kept like he actually references his love for St. Paul at one point. And I think it would be cool if he was just kind of this like 120 pound MRA activist. <laughs> it really is sort of built for you, Anthony, in terms of just like all the like the actual yeah. Christian religion into it. And it's yeah, they just sort of drop that ball on that regard. Yeah, like I actually a lot about the first I think I talked about this I think was my first episode amends like yes I, I feel like I am well, the, that, the first perfect. correspondent yeah. right yeah. like and, and trying to coordinate what the lore is trying to do with the first and with Caleb interests me a lot like mm. he he says there's a moment where they're all sinners and you are sin and I find that interesting I find the way he's just like a general mishmash of like tropes about religion like I can't tell if he's supposed to be evangelical or what he's supposed to be um, or what his, like, what are we supposed to make of his faith structure? Like he really does seem to be like a new atheist bogeyman, right? Like <laughs> right. he is the concept of religion come to come sure. to roost, which again goes to the weird, that is a, a piece of the like Iraq war stuff, right? Like the, the Hitchkins of it all of like, well, we have yeah. to destroy these religious um ideologists right so i don't yeah. know well, what's interesting too really that he does say is that he is whatever he is he is a lapsed religious yeah yeah because he does say like i thought the lord was the way and then right. i found out that it was you right he responded to the misogynist aspects and nothing else <laughs> <laughs> it was his good launching pad and then he needed to move on to something more advanced yeah he likes their selma killing policy but not their bart killing <laughs> policy <laughs> God. all right wait so i'm gonna boys i need to set us back on track okay, thank I, forgot, you, right. I forgot we're recording with uh, the four of us as well uh, yeah good luck buddy like yeah. good luck <laughs> so i i feel like i can hear anthony all the times he goes be like i know ian's ha- getting stressed we need to get yeah. back on track <laughs> we haven't even started the episode yeah i'm not <laughs> No, <laughs> we get we open the explosion happens uh i 
while the scythe is feels almost useless, I do like it. I do. It looks cool. I like that they like the like King Arthur shit where it's like, yeah, he's like, you're not gonna be able to pull that, and then she just immediately lifts. Like, I do. It also like, sounds cool. I love yeah. the sound design for the scythe. Um, yeah, it's like that weird specific like, like yeah, I don't know. It sings. <laughs> I have to disagree. I think that the I like the set. Well, no, I like the sound design for the scythe. I think the scythe looks cheap. Oh. It does kind of have the beast beast wars kind of <laughs> chroming. <laughs> well, this happening. is also the like Buffy in like on Hulu thing too, though, right? Where like everything looks twenty percent cheaper now because. Well, I just I've always hated the like wooden stake at the end of it. I just think that that looks silly. <laughs> It's well, because it's we, an Omni tool, though, Matthew. Alton Brown on Food Network would be very, very happy with this because it's not a a single right. function kitchen tool. It really right. it, it, get, it does multiple things. Yeah, well, if you could get I, a super soaker in there, it'd be perfect. <laughs> or like, oh my it God, could well, smash well, garlic has, or something. He does have a super soaker in the Xbox game that I always yeah. bring up yes. on the show. Yeah. Uh, it, Which, it, it lets out health. Snaps for chaos bleeds. Yeah. They, they should have brought that in because it does make sense. Um, But... We said in the previous recording from um, God, I'm like, what are the episode names touched? Um, Kirsten White said that she thinks her is- her biggest issue with it is that it looks too new. Like it should, if it's mm. an ancient weapon, it right? It does look factory, it- factory new. Like yeah, fresh yeah. out of the box, totally. Um, and so, Did like, you guys talk about Frey and all of that. I was like- gonna, I was actually gonna ask Anthony. I'm, I feel like I know you read Frey, but I can't remember. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Matthew and Joe, did either of you read the Frey comic? No. no. So, yeah, this is the thing. Like, this weapon already existed in the lore. It was in Frey, which is the story of, like, 22nd century vampire slayer. And in that, she's got this weapon, and they keep talking about how it's the ancient weapon of the slayers, and the undropped shoe was always like, how come Buffy doesn't have it? Right. So this show is paying that off, but it feels like a very late introduction. I I honestly, one of the things that kind of, I feel like I'm being, I warned Ian, like talking about season (laughs) seven for me. I love this show. I really do. But the back end gives me some trouble. And I do think there are one of the ways it cheats and makes Buffy always right is suddenly two major MacGuffins drop into the story. One is this weapon. And the second is Spike's little necklace. Right. That, and in both cases, Buffy could not have won. Like, Buffy's plan in the finale, spoilers, wouldn't have worked if Spike hadn't suddenly exploded, right? right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so that aspect of it, I wouldn't mind if we had really leaned into a longer lead up to this yeah. thing and maybe spent a bit, like, the the guardian lady we meet at the end of the episode seems to live in an apartment that's smaller than mine. Like, yeah. I <laughs> wouldn't have minded a bit more lead on this, but... Well, a lot of ways, this episode feels like the first 10 minutes of The Gift, where it's like they're in the magic shop, and Anya's like, hammer of a god, and somebody else Uh is like, Dagonsphere, and it's just like, assembling the weapons. And that one felt more, first of all, it's a lot shorter, and it's uh, it felt more earned because it's like oh right we went through the whole episode with the hammer of the god and we exactly. like, we remember the dagon sphere from when that was a thing and yeah. it felt like you all of a sudden it's just like oh all of season five was we were sort of collecting these things and like yeah. putting them on a shelf and waiting for them to become yeah. useful. you know and in this it was just like need something what do we need we need something scythe like and, and now it's there yeah. and, and, it's so and it felt a little cheaper you you're always supposed to get this sense especially around series finales when you know the series is going to end that like they could have mapped out this whole thing 
and like really made sure all the pieces were in place. And it really does feel like around uh, season, around uh, end of day, oh no, sorry, around empty places, uh, the room was like, okay, how are they going to win? And mm-hmm. so right. like, okay, I don't know, go to limited two, get a necklace. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matthew, what's crazy about that, and you're totally right, but like what's the thing with season seven to me on sort of a macro level, and like and I'll sort of give the preface to like Anthony said, like, I do love this show. It is one of the most important shows to me, and I love yeah. where it shakes out. But like if you look at season seven, it often really feels like about five things happen in season seven and the mm. end point where they get to, I really love, I love where it all ends and yeah. it sometimes feels like, okay, well we've got to fill out 22 episodes. And so we get like five episodes that are just about the seal and about like the mm. Uber vamps and whatever. And then this one, it's just like from dirty girls. And then like three episodes in the middle were like, Basically, we put Xandrin in an eye patch and we find the scythe, and that's sort of like even the uprising feels like, well, it happens and then it's done, and it's just like mm-hmm, it lasts mm-hmm. an episode. And I feel like the pacing of the season is so strange. And yeah. Matthew, you and I were talking literally yesterday about like standalone <laughs> episodes and how much we love standalone yeah. episodes. And it's like this season could have been five major signposts of like things that happen yeah. to get us to where we need to be in chosen, and then like 12 cool little standalone episodes like selfless or whatever that are or like storyteller even when we when i was on uh, earlier and that one has a lot more plottiness than selfless does but we could have just had like stories within the buffy universe that feel a little bit more self-contained which would have actually been a nice little throwback to season one which had a lot more standalone episodes Mm -hmm. and and then dealt with the plottiness you know when we needed to rather than stretch out the plottiness to the point where we have this episode end of days we're like what happens in this episode like (laughs) anya and andrew go on a Mm -hmm. shopping trip to a hospital and it's by far the best thing like not to get ahead of us ian sorry i know you're (laughs) breaking out in hives right now um but like by far the best part of the episode and it's like and it's just totally a side quest but it's like with characters we love and it's whatever but it's just so much boondoggling yeah Yeah, oh yeah it should like that's the other thing is like um there's a kind of funereal pacing and quality. Like yeah. everyone seems tired and it's, yes, it's funny because like <laughs> I was again watching all of them and it's like, Oh, how, how, what an amazing actress Sarah Michelle Geller is. She sounds so tired. And then it cuts to the first and she still sounds tired. It's like, wait, <laughs> she's, she's sick. Like she's not well, um, <laughs> but like, you're right. Like it would be nice if I could have dealt, I could have, I would have loved an Andrew and Anya at the hospital episode. Mm. I similarly would have loved, there's the episode where Spike and Andrew go to the, yeah. um, they go out of town on the bike and it's like, that should have been its yeah. own, like them in a haunted monastery. Give me that. Give me a Scooby-Doo episode with <laughs> yeah. Spike and Andrew, right? And like the thing is too, is like, and the thing is it's almost feel, it almost feels like when you are really good at doing something and then you feel the pressure of having to do it in a, in a, in a fin- finale way. Right. right. Like, no, you know, I mean, actually wait, I, Baljox's eye is this season, but like, you know, <laughs> you know how to do an episode where like you go on a side quest and you can like gain a power up you know but right you, you didn't have to just like have it that someone it doesn't i forget who gives 
them the limited two necklace but it's like isn't it literally like in a paper bag also it's from yes it is easy to forget all that yeah well yeah. and the crazy thing is and like so uh anthony you wait you did or didn't watch you didn't watch all of angel right oh definitely no, did. You, okay. i love angel angel so is... matthew matthew's the only one that did no. okay so even in Angel, though, right? They don't explain that that well. Lila no. just is kind of like, "Here's the thing," the and thing like, for it you. Won't be helpful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like, think there is a strong or at least slight implication later that it was actually meant to be a trap yes. for Angel. Yes. Spice. Yeah, I first. No, well, oh, yeah. right. It was yes, it was right. Meant to for be Angel. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you're right. I think that that's. I my. It's been a long time since Angel season five, but I think it's one of Wolfram and Hart's many attempts to kind of neuter him. But right. like for the Buffy for the show Buffy, it's weird, right? Because like yeah, th- he doesn't really say what it is. He doesn't. He's just like oh, she's like, was it a reliable source? He's like, not really. And that's yeah. it. And then the conversation's over, and it just feels like. And again, if it hadn't done exactly what it ends up doing by accident, those Mm. kids would have all died in the seal, right? Like, (laughs) uh, similarly, I feel like we're being really harsh and I don't want to be, but similarly, like why were Caleb and the first digging up this ax in the first place? Right? Like Like, there is, that is never explained. They have handily given her to leave it buried. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine a version of this season where, you do the whole back to the beginning, back to the beginning thing in the first episode. You see that the school is like doing these excavations it shouldn't to do. Mm. And then at the end of the first episode, Buffy finds this thing in the basement, pulls it out of the seal because we know it was the weapon that sealed the last demon away. And then she's responsible for the whole season instead of doing this weird yeah. soft shoe of like why is the first suddenly able and suddenly interested in doing this stuff like what if the slayer the new slayer accidentally undid the work of the last the first slayer right that would have right. been fun well yeah. and then also i think you know i it, it wouldn't have hurt to have a conversation where maybe caleb is talking to the first and saying like oh i really think that we should dig up this size because i want to keep it from buffy yeah uh-huh. the first being like well if you unbury it then you're already doing buffy's work for her like there has to be that like almost just logical conversation about like is it better to keep it something from her or better to just leave it in the ground yeah. That way, it never it can never yeah. be you know used to. He Streisand affected it. He, like, yes, yeah. yes, <laughs> right. Because he also confronts her in Dirty Girls and says like like he has Shannon tell her that he has something of hers, and it's like why like yeah, why? Why, why like it should have just been a trap to kill a bunch of potentials, not like oh no, I actually I wasn't lying. I'm I'm a villain, but I told the truth. Like I do have something of oh, you. Right. Right. Sorry, I, mean, I, I couldn't have just lied and said that there was something you should come get. I had to like actually have something. Yeah, yeah. What do you say, Matthew? Can we just? Say for one moment on the potentials. Yeah, I wanted to say to them, "No, you cannot take an Uber van." <laughs> <laughs> oh, they really, yeah, they really thought that they could. Yeah, there's 15 of us, and there's one of him. I'm like, okay, so he's going to eat all 15 of your. <laughs> you Surely, that one machine you. gun can't mow down 20 of us. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> Imagine if at that moment the Uber van just killed them all and that was the end of the potential. That was the end of the- <laughs> I okay, also I need to ask all because I've been asking everyone this season as we get to her. I can't remember, and I'm positive I've probably asked you boys this already. Matthew, give me what I forget what you think of Kennedy. I feel like we agreed, right? Um Kennedy. Don't know. I don't know her. 
<laughs> President <laughs> and donor after Nixon, but before uh, Lyndon Johnson. Mm, you know, I think I don't remember how that story ended. Complicated legacy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I don't really care for Kennedy, but I don't have the visceral hate for her that people, other people do. Um, that's basically it. Like, but I don't really. When I think of Buffy, Kennedy is maybe the seventy fourth character I think of. <laughs> um, yeah, I the like hate is what I think. What makes me defend her more is because sure. it's like I, yeah. I don't think she's great, but I also think like all right, she's fine and she's definitely the. I best mean, potential. I didn't want I didn't want Willow's pussy to go unlicked for the rest of her life. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's important. You know, <laughs> you know it is funny. weird at the distance of twenty years to look back on these shipping wars and be like, why? Who? Yes. Who cares? Like, oh, listen. If, if you were, <laughs> not I feel that way. But if you were in my, if you saw Slayer Fest '98's mentions, you would see that everyone still cares. Yeah, those, I believe it, and those I, I the lines are still bright. Yeah. But that's the thing; she's inherited a role that it, you can't. No one would have thrived in this right. position, right? Like, right. you've come after one of. I mean, easily you could say one of the most important capital yeah. I important relationships in television history, right? Yeah. Like yeah. who's going to follow that one? And I'm sorry, God bless whoever she is, but her acting ability, she is Tara McClay. She is not, you know, like <laughs> I feel for her, but I do think a thing that happens with this shipping stuff is like, sometimes you just fuck someone yes. and like, yes. it doesn't have to be, not every one of them has to be the most be all end all relationship. Um, Somebody should have done a comic back in the day that was like Riley and Kennedy and Ashanti <laughs> from that episode where Xander goes on a date mm. with Ashanti and like they team up as like the rebounds. And, and <laughs> well, I also do want to say that I, I really do wish that Riley had made it into the, the last season somehow. He really is the only one. He's really left out of the party. Like Mark Lucas was calling Josh. <laughs> hey, it's kind of like that, that email from right. Mara to Amy Pascal about uh, right. girl with a dragon tattoo. Like. Whereas, whereas Seth Green had his phone off the receiver for like yeah. six months just because to make sure that it was a busy signal when they called <laughs> yeah, him. Like, he, he made a preemptive call to say, I'm busy for the rest of the year I just so you know. i got plans for uh, this year. Yeah, And I mean, it matters in this episode in particular the way this show feels like it has to thread the angel versus spike needle right yeah. like it's oh, weird boy. to watch it and feel the way it's putting up all these pylons about it like if you like spike and buffy this is the scene of the two of them facing each other maybe they had sex i don't know and like then we have the angel of it all at the end and the that bitch line which ends up going uh, nope. nowhere am i nowhere. there so many yeah. things in this episode what? go nowhere that one we especially won't there. We won't get there. Yeah, sorry ian's gonna kill us i'm, I'm sorry it's gonna take a scive and in one stroke because there are three ways to kill people it's just gonna be the three of us it's gonna be done i'm gonna let's go to the two let's just take two things at once and do the caleb infusion and the buffy and faith conversation okay Wait, so wait, no, because the Buffy and Faith conversation isn't till later, right? Well, the next thing, right, is the Caleb infusion. Oh, right, right. Yeah, okay. So the Caleb infusion, I, I'm glad they at least, like, I actually had forgotten. And, like, I'm pretty good at memor like remembering shit from the show. I'd forgotten that they do explain at least why Caleb is, like, so powerful, which, okay, sure. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Father Optimus Prime. It's whatever. 
<laughs> Again, my hobby horse about the first is like, I don't love the way it's specifically its incorporeality becomes such an important beat in season seven. I like the way it operates in amends where it is fully like touching Angel's hair. Like the point is it is emotions in extremis like that was kind of what it was a metaphor then and i kind of wish that had borne out now and now it's like anger about its own incorporeality is very strange to me um but this is so sketchy right like like sketched in we don't know how caleb and the first met we don't know right. why he is this unique vessel is it just because he's a hyper misogynist maybe i guess um yeah i don't know it's it's fine it it gives the henchman the power up it works, I guess, but yeah. nothing nothing we haven't seen before, right? Does the first take any other forms with Caleb? I, I sort of skipped to this one after I, after storytelling. Yeah, but I like, yeah. It does, it does a best of his misogynist world tour where it's like, yeah. show me all the girls you killed. It definitely doesn't do anyone expensive to book. Like, <laughs> and it doesn't do any men, though, right? Is the other, It doesn't do like... No, does it? it never does. No. no. no I, would, I would have liked a little... I know that like it runs antithetical to his whole like misogyny personified thing, but like... If he had I, been the Pope or something. Well, I would have <laughs> wanted like Harry Grainer to be like as flirty with him as, mm. as Buffy first is. You know what I mean? Just for my own... Yeah. Enjoyment. Yeah, there's definitely... He does have a kind of latent vibe doesn't he like there is mean, a- yeah he's, he's a gay misogynist yeah, yeah yeah in his black jeans <laughs> um uh, yeah matthew what do you think about it i i you know cool <laughs> i need Fair. anytime we see the first as it the little bunny i love the bunny first you know, like the big monster that it's supposed to come out as. Like, oh, the bunny. classical demon one. Oh yeah, where, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always think it looks like a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is it's like the exact same effect from when it erupts out of Jenny Calendar and yeah, yeah, right. Like yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. when you fight it as a as a boss battle in Chaos Bleeds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but I I also wait. I also do want to I want to backtrack just a second. I do love. Buffy coming in. I do love like her entrance. It is a very like hero's entrance. Um, and I appreciate when we can get that from our hero. And like, I know the, the, like the, the back and forth of the, like whether she was right or whether she was wrong, but like, I do like that. She comes in, she saves the girls and she's just like, get the wounded. We're leaving. And is very like, she doesn't need like, the kicking her out of the house, I, I go back and forth with the way everyone's acting this season. Almost every time I've watched it, I go back and forth whether like I'm more on Buffy's side, I'm more on Faith's side, I'm more on the Scooby side, whatever. This time I've been kind of like split down the middle where I think everyone's being an asshole. Like Faith is kind of the only one not being an asshole. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate that like she's our hero for a reason and she's not like when she brings them back to the house she's kind of like the uh, Amanda and Kennedy are like, we're being punished. We let, we, you know, followed faith. We got punished. And they are, that's what bothers me about it. They are being punished for following faith. Like the plot is punishing them for simply making what is a very reasonable (laughs) judgment call, which is Buffy got us all killed and Xander blinded by going to this vineyard for no reason. Buffy goes to the vineyard again and gets what she wanted. Faith making the exact same judgment call gets us blown up. Right? Like, well, and, and, and it's or, nice that the plot conspires to like let Buffy be, you know, grandiloquent and be like, "Oh, I, for, I, I forgive you for throwing me out of the house." But they are being punished. That's what bothers me about. Well, it. she the also gets to sort of bestow them. this grace on Faith too, where it's just like, yeah, any anyone could have done that, and it's just like, it's like 
that's true. And I'm glad that somebody said it to Faith. But like, it's weird that it's <laughs> Buffy just being like a silly child. Like anybody, anybody could have failed as spectacularly as you did. Today. Yeah. But for and me, I understand why- too that like they needed to like lay Faith up for an episode so she could go film the true calling pilot, which is mm-hmm. like logistically a part of that. Is that really why? Yes. They, this episode <laughs> filmed before touched because uh, oh. they, Eliza needed to go film the true calling pilot. Oh. And that's why she's out of commission then, for most of yeah. this episode. What was the pitch on true calling? Can someone remind me? She it's, speaks to, she touches dead cadavers in the meta, in the, in the mortuary and they tell her yeah. how they died. And oh. then she like flushes oh. back. And like has to solve it, right? Isn't that what I Zombie was basically? Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. it's, yeah. Right. It's it was before that, and Zach Galifianakis was on it. Yeah, yeah, and, and Jason, Jason Priestley. Priestley. Yeah, um, but wow. I Zombie did it way better, I will say. Um, that's a show I never even finished, but I did love the like two or three seasons I watched. Um, yeah. But I, the, the my my counterpoint to what you guys are saying is that I feel like Buffy made a mistake and Faith made a mistake. So for me, it's like they're realizing like. Oh, like, I don't know. Like, they're the Slayers, so they have this, like, Faith has it, too. She's cooler about it, and she, you know, wears, like, you know, she's, you know, smoking cigarettes, but, like, she's still, (laughs) like, right, they, like, pose her as, like, the cool one, and, like, the cool, fun aunt is what we kept calling her in Dirty Girls. And, like, for me, I, I think it puts them on the same playing field of, like, oh, now both of them got people killed. Like, we see that, like sure you know what i mean that's that's so i don't why isn't the speech like oh my god i'm 21 i shouldn't be in charge of any of this instead (laughs) of like why are they both being like that's the cost of being a general kids die and it's like what are you talking about why is this like what are they fighting for is i guess the question i think that the evacuation of the town is a big mistake as a plot beat in general because i no longer know it's like when you're watching a superhero movie and it's like the town is saved and it's like you see the town it's like there's nothing left like right right i feel like yeah. the emotional stakes are gone are evacuated along with everybody and like similarly like buffy sends dawn away and it like it's barely paid off you know like i oh. wish there was a beat of like like the eye thing you know like does she feel bad about xander's eye i would love to hear her thoughts about xander's eye <laughs> Um, well, the other thing is evacuating Sunnydale. That's a good point, which is that the outside world has never existed beyond like very, very small mm-hmm. slivers of things. Like you got the the thing at the end of uh, Primeval where the 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 initiative, the you know whatever the government right, yeah, in Washington yeah. talks yeah. about the initiative, but like and like allusions to her life in L.A. even feel like they're like hundreds and thousands of miles away right yeah and so i mean look at what the town about... outside sunnydale looks like right it's just right. like this endless wasteland <laughs> so we have to stop the first or else it'll it'll like it'll take over first sunnydale and then the world but it's like the world has never existed on the show it's only ever been about mm-hmm. sunnydale so then if you're not saving sunnydale then what you're right what are what is it about yeah, like, I don't know how great I feel about the visual at the end of this of just, like, a, a crater. crater in the ground. And it's like, we won. And it's like, uh, did you? I mean, there's your, there's your Iraq war metaphor, though. Like, really laid yeah, out pretty exactly. plain. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> Sorry again. <laughs> so, God, where the fuck are we, Matthew? Well, that's series so wrap. Mad. Yeah. Dad's <laughs> so mad. All right. We need... Let's talk about Don and Xander because it, it's in two separate scenes where he yeah. talks her surprisingly, and then the others—I mean, the chloroforms her—and then the second one where she shocks him. But let's just take it all in yeah. one. Yeah, I hate what it. Do you, so Matthew, much. what do you think about that scene, Matthew? Mm. Um, 
you know, <laughs> it would have, once again, if it were differently plotted, I would have loved a, a, a Don Xander on the road episode. Yeah. yeah. Where they talk about whether they even want to be there for the end of the world, you know? That would be great, actually. Yeah. I would definitely love part 45 of minutes like, of that. I understand what it is to want to be there, but also, like, what a gift to, like, get a right. get out of jail free card. <laughs> like, girl, go to Auntie Anne's. Have a day. <laughs> <laughs> have a roadside Orange Julius somewhere and just sort of, like, right, chill. Right. Yeah. No, I, I mean, that's the thing is, like, this... When we're talking about what's lacking in season seven, you get obviously a lot of things about like Buffy and the nature of power. But imagine an episode where Xander and Dawn talk about like being able to be spared from the carnage or like whether you want to be a part of it or whether like what is your role when your best friend constantly ices you out? Like imagine Xander saying to Dawn, it has been so hard being best friends with your sister who constantly wants to sideline me. And yet I come back to her because I had a crush on her seven years ago. And (laughs) Mm -hmm. like Dawn being like, well, what about me? Like all I asked for is for like Buffy to show me the world. And she had this opportunity to do it. And instead she like put me in a Mazda. Like I felt like (laughs) I did love that part in the note where Buffy's like, I did promise to show you the world and I promise I will get to that soon. (laughs) Like, As soon as I can. Like, I guess what she meant after she's done saving the world, they can go to the Grand Canyon. Like, what is Right, right, exactly. Like, you can just bring the Grand Canyon to you now. (laughs) I promise you, Dairy Queen after. Like, it'll definitely happen. I really feel like there was an episode, uh, a moment for, like, a rip, because it was once again a really, really, like, shocking when you watched it for the first time plot point to see Xander chloroform Dawn. Right. To have it only pay off in her stun gunning him and turning around. So this is what I hated about it, though. I I really kind of despise this whole development beyond the fact that just it pertains absolutely zero to next episode. I had totally forgotten it happened because it doesn't like I guess it like Dawn's pissed for a second in Chosen. Mm -hmm. But like there are like 18 other things. She punches her in the shoulder and says dope or something. She's just like... And so it yeah. feels like such a hamster wheel thing of just like, we're just going to like put Xander and Dawn into a thing so that they don't have to be, you know, mucking up the rest of the storylines in this episode. But also, and I can't remember at the time, were we meant, because remember earlier in the season, we were meant to be suspicious of Giles and maybe Giles was the first and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yada, yada. Was there any reason sort of extra textually that we were suspicious of Xander that that moment was supposed to now fool us no. in any way? So uh, like, it, so then it felt like this really gratuitous thing of we need to get Xander needs to get Dawn out of town and we need to do it in the most like predatory violence against women mm-hmm. like Brooke Smith in the van and the silence of the lambs kind and of And they way. play the sinister music. And it's just yeah. like, so like, do we think that Xander after all of this is just like, you know what, maybe I am going to go evil and like just menace right. Dawn. And it makes really just it. It does. It, I guess it makes sense in the plot in that, like, of course, Buffy would want to get Dawn out of town, but to carry it off in this way that is maximum. It also gives you the sense that, like, Xander's only talking to Dawn because he's not to get the jump on her. Otherwise, why would he ever talk to Dawn? And, right. and so, yeah. it it just felt like just the, doing it that way 
in a way that had no stakes ultimately and would never pertain to anything. And then yes, ends up with like Don getting the jump on him with like a very conveniently like placed stun gun. And right. I was like, why, what was the whole point of all of this? Like ugliness yeah. for ugliness sake, when we're already dealing with poked out eyeballs and dead teenage girls and all this other stuff. It, we did really... casually learn that Don killed a cat. Yes. <laughs> I know. Poor Miss Kitty Fantastico. Oh, God. If we're talking about um, alternate routes that season seven could have taken, imagine a season seven in the style of 24 where it all takes place in the last <laughs> in one day. And we get a whole hour of like Xander and Don on the road talking like that. But yeah, I kind of like your I like your pitch of like Dawn and Xander save a gas station outside of town and like I come mean, back. Are, I mean, because you know what else actually it pays off on is there is that conversation that Dawn and Xander have about being at the end of potential where they talk about being the two most useless people in the room. Right. Right. Yeah. Actually, a, com- a road a road trip conversation, a two Wong food. Thanks for everything. Buffy Summer. Mm. Mm-hmm, would have been mm-hmm. great because it pays off on that conversation about what it means to be useless in the context yeah. of the end of the I world. I was going to say they should go like take a, you know, day trip to Joshua Tree or something, but then I remember that the first Slayer is there and that's, you know, that's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> that would be, I don't mind. There's a version of this season that I actually wouldn't mind, which is if potential had gone the other way and that uh, Dawn Buffy realizes that Dawn is a potential. Mm. I actually would rather jettison all these 30 extra girls who are literally crowding the frame and just have Dawn be the one where it's like, listen, you share your power. You're going to have to share it with Dawn. And that becomes the way she shows her the world. Like, yeah. Then all this discussion of like empowerment and who leads and being alone actually has a meaningful personal connection, you know, like, that gesture at the end where she says, no, you join me in this fight would mean something more than yeah. the montage we get, which I do love, but yeah, yeah. it's well, hollow. I don't none of these characters have names, you know, I, I, I do think it's, it, it is another like course of like, this should have just been like a discussion where Dawn is like, no, absolutely not. Because this is one of Buffy's decisions that really does make sense, right? Like these are, they, the two of them have no power. The two of them are, not so, good but, at fight i don't know like for it's me the seventh season like have these people not earned the right to fight along with her yeah, by I now like buffy. how many times has buffy learned this lesson that just because you don't have superpowers doesn't mean yeah. you're not useful in a fight right like i agree i think it actually that her decision makes no sense like there's so many it's all minutia like xander is can be there to do the things like you know someone has to make the costco run you know like <laughs> things and just actually send people out at the beginning of the fight like at the end of the day most people don't fight they're upstairs at the at you know dying at the, you know high anyway so there was always even if it was xander out i mean doesn't xander wait at the bus anyway at the during the fight like he, no him and him and don are Oh, him and Don do fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Quite successfully. So yeah. well, I do, they, yeah. They made shit, Bobby. <laughs> well, I... Okay, let's... Matthew, you brought this up. Let's go to Buffy and Faith. I actually do like this scene. I'm predicting that no one else did, but I do like... I felt like we needed a Buffy and Faith scene where they at least, like, talk about stuff, right? That isn't just, like, relating to their current fight. 
because like the last time they saw each other, it was before this was not great, right? The last time she saw Faith was after Faith had stolen her body and she went to LA, right? That's like, mm-hmm. so it's not like they were cool, even though Faith, at this point, we know the character from like Angel and stuff is quote unquote good to Buffy. Like Buffy has every reason not to, because I've seen a lot of people in Slayer 98's mention saying like they don't like that Buffy doesn't seem to like faith anymore and it's like well but she doesn't because the last time they didn't have any good encounters right well there was that episode i mean it wasn't a good encounter but like after the body swap she follows her to la when she goes to angel and they have that like fight on the rooftop and you i you get why buffy's resistant to the idea that faith might redeem herself but there is Mm. like unquestionably like angel keeps telling her and clearly you know, when Willow came back to town, Willow, I'm sure, said, like, no, like, Faith's cool now. You know what I mean? Like, Faith <laughs> saved us all. And I... I the, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. You go. I think it's one of those things, too. Like, ultimately, I don't mind the scene, but I also feel like the show is going out of its way to make sure that we know that Buffy and Faith are cool with each other with, like, ultimately, I don't really care if Buffy and Faith like each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do. <laughs> That's I my do. thing. Yeah, yeah. I, that's why I kind of like this episode. This this scene rather um, is because, as basic as it is, just like I like any Buffy and Faith could be friends content because yeah. I just like yeah. it's ultimately what I want. And I, yeah, it's, yeah, I it's very simplistic. More, I think they're much more interesting as frustrated colleagues. Who I think you're right. I think you're yeah. like on the merits. You are right. Yeah, yeah like, I don't disagree I, with that. But like, I, I, I don't mind them going from friends to lovers to enemies to lovers to <laughs> right. like i kind of enjoyed that going back and forth i do think that what's interesting about any conversation they have and like joe pointing to that angel episode is really interesting because buffy is truly she comes guy. off as monstrous in she's that episode. the bad guy in that episode yeah, that's exactly. what i love about that episode it really it's allows so buffy good. to be the villain yeah. yeah and it's truly like that is the difference between those two shows right like a demon is a demon on buffy and a demon is like might be good might be bad on angel right, right? like yeah. yeah and her insistence on this black and white moral rectitude is kind of built into the character right it, she's aware it is one of her biggest flaws yeah um but at the same time, she's now gone through season six and it might have been nice for her to have touched base with Faith about like what it means to like, what does it mean to have casual sex? You know, like, <laughs> she's now a different person. I would have liked to have had a bit of development there, but I don't need them to. I agree. I don't need them to be besties. They can they can bang it out later. You know, like, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> plenty of time well, to do that in the new world. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, ju- I think I like the dynamic here. I like but I. I mean, I Joe, so you you are like me. I, I want them to be, like, at least cool. And I think that the thing is, it's not like they're becoming, they're not besties here. Like, at the end of the scene, it's just they're kind of like, they're cool. Um, and that's what I needed. I needed, like, to, like, rid myself of most of the animosity. Um, because I feel like even when Faith starts her speech to Buffy, she says, the funny thing is, and, like, twice, Buffy's like, is that the funny part? Yeah, what's like, the Buffy's, funny part? You know yeah. what I mean? And I... And also, I love Simon Shaw Geller's delivery when Faith mentioned she had sex with Robin Wood, and she's like, "You had sex with in my bed." In bo- is that the funny part? Like, I love the way she's like rambling, and she's like clearly also annoyed at Faith, right? 
I love that Buffy's like 75% of the way from being like, that was an odd story development in last episode. Like that was <laughs> like, that kind of came out of nowhere, huh? Gosh, I leave for one day and you fucked my boss. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I do, I don't know. I do like their line when like, thank God for hot chicks with superpowers. Yeah. It takes the edge off. I do like a little bit of like the, like, all right, we're in, this is a heavy conversation where we're trying to like rock and roll. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know. I just like that. It's silly. Um, it's kind of important for the story, right? Like it, this is the conversation where Buffy realizes that sharing her power, like they're passing yeah. the scythe back and forth. And it's like, there, it is kind of where it seeds the idea that she could share this burden with somebody. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's important in that sense. Oh, Anthony, you thank you for backing me up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they, these characters have to have a conversation, right? Like that's wow. just yeah. you can. And we are at that point in the series where it's like that's that's a series wrap for Clem. You know, yeah. like we're paying <laughs> right. off right. everything, so well, you can feel them kind of touching bases as they run around. It's so funny because I do feel like one of the things that is actually kind of tonally off in the last few episodes is like you know there is this mounting sense that like everyone in the house has a feel or knows that the end is coming and so it puts into perspective you know their relationships they're like okay we kind of have to let bygones be bygones because it might be the end of the world but then Mm. some conversations feel really weighty and some feel like well i'm just gonna let it go because the world could end Mm. And it feels like there's not a really like a the show doesn't come out. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but some conversations feel like, you know, I guess we have to bury the hatchet because we all might die. And then some feel like, oh, this the world is ending. We really need to air out the dirty laundry. And there's yeah, some, they don't yeah. really circle that square super well. Cause I think that there is an alternate version of this conversation where Buffy goes in and is like, Hey, like, what was it like fucking leading faith? Like, you know, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> well, and so I even, you know, like you said, we're getting a lot of like, okay, we got to wrap up this, this uh, dynamic and whatever. And I do, I like that then, you know, she leaves, she goes down and Spike's there and he's like, honey, you're home. And I do like their discussion here. I, you know, I, James Marsters, the way he acts with Spike in love with Buffy is just, I don't know, the way he looks at her, the way he like clearly is hanging on her every word. And also I love that he's coming in with all these big emotions, which this is me coming in with all these big emotions. And she's like, I am very busy here. There's an apocalypse. And she's like, yes, I love you too. We're good. Let me just do the thing. Um, And he's being like, very like, well, but I love you. And like, just so like tender. I don't know. I really, I really like this scene. I like the, the scene they had in touched is I think one of their best scenes together. Um, And I like this as like a, you know, kind of like they're, I mean, they do get a scene in Chosen, but it's not as, like, big as this. Like, this is them talking about their feelings, even though it seems like Buffy's avoiding him. But then at the end, like, I love when she's like, I'm tired of defensive and weird mixed signals. I have faith for that. Which I also was kind of like, you just had this perfectly nice conversation with Faith. Like, (laughs) asshole, why are you throwing her back under the bus like that? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, Matthew, I'm curious. What do you think of this scene with her and Spike? Um, I like the scene. I think it's another one where like it's uh, a major conversation that is treated very uh, minorly. Like it happens in a literal liminal space in the house, like between the kitchen and the yeah. living room. And, <laughs> right. 
it doesn't feel like it's given the the weight that it kind of should because as we were kind of talking about with with Buffy and Faith, like whether we think characters need a, a resolution, obviously the Buffy and Spike resolution kind of happens as he's evaporating, but <laughs> I do think that this needed a little bit more room to, I mean, and also it's kind of funny after Buffy has been the Slayer for seven years to be like, listen, the thing that really got me through it was that handholding we were doing in the bed the other night. <laughs> hand-holding. <laughs> that was some intense hand-holding. <laughs> I finally came to my senses. Joe, what did you think of the, the, the scene with them together? Oh, you know, I hate Spike. So <laughs> it's it's tough. All of this stuff, I just, I almost feel like I, sh- I need to recuse myself. And it's... <laughs> By this point in the series, they had pretzel logic him so much into f- getting him to a point where it would be acceptable to have the two of them together. And every single turn of that has felt so effortful to me. And I can't, I, I, I like, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm the really, I'm the unpleasant one to talk about Buffy and Spike. Cause I really just, there's nothing about it, especially by this point that I, I feel like I don't think it's worth it. I don't know what was, I, I don't think that the end product of having Buffy and Spike romantically together was worth all of it. I just, if the show I were don't. on now and we had to do the touched everyone has sex episode, I would have had it that Faith leaves the house to go after Buffy and be like, I didn't want it this way. And then they finally, yeah. And that's the end of their. Like they finally get it out and have sex. That's my HBO version of what happens. What happens. And Spike I, dies or something. I love that rewrite though. I do like, let's finally do this. Come on. Um, yeah. Anthony, what do you think of the scene? Yeah, I I would not I would never on paper say the things Joe just said, but I, <laughs> <laughs> you have a much, much there, keener sense of self-preservation than uh, I do. Yeah, always let me open a trap door in the floor here. Um but I do <laughs> I will echo a lot of it. Like I love, I actually like Spike a lot in angel season five. I think that they, they realize they have to get him to that place so he can be that fun character again. And this kind of mirror of angel that annoys the shit out of angel. Like that's really smart as an adult watching this now, like an older adult who's like gone through things like um, there is a kind of, sadness about this wrap up to these characters where it's like obviously he's done these horrible things to her and is trying to make amends for them um but i do think the thing that has to happen is he has to leave right like i don't think i don't as much as we're barreling towards the cookie cookie dough speech like i do think absenting himself from this scene is good for him uh and his character growth and seeing that again now after all these years i feel like as much as they have to make the you know the spuffy shippers happy i do think it's less positive about this relationship than i thought it was Hmm. um i do think it recognizes like there is something about each other that we respond to but this is not this is not this is not the ticket Listen, I also need to add this. Uh, the Spuffy Shippers are always the most intense and mad Imagine. in Sarah Mentions. So please remember that I am the host and I didn't say anything negative if you're going to be mad. I think it's an interesting, I actually find it, it's not a relationship I would include in anything I was writing, but like, yeah. but I do think 
like the degree to which a character like this can make amends and the various metaphors it wheels wheels onto the stage to think about it is audacious. Yeah. Um, is it a relationship I think of as particularly healthy? Probably right. not. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't, yeah. um, I like that it goes to the place where she tries to give him the emotional payoff she thinks he needs in this moment where he's dying. And I like that he has the emotional growth to realize, no, you don't. Like, <laughs> I think that that is actually a more powerful line than I realized it was when I yeah. was like 17 or whatever. But um, yeah, I love that as the final, like their final interaction. I think it's fucking fantastic. We cut to Anya and Andrew in the hospital. And right now I'm going to have a scene reading with Ivy LaBelle playing Anya and Neil McNeil playing Andrew. Ooh, this one has oxygen tanks. Well, they'd only be useful if something big was attacking. And then we can shove one down their throat and blow them up like Roy Schreider did in that shark in Jaws. What? You are the perfect woman. I've often thought so. Wanna rob? Let's rob. Oh, cool. Gauze and alcohol. Tape. Ooh, sutures. If we want to get stitchy with it. Oh, and there's a box of ointment here. I used one of these on a rash once. Oh, show me. Well, it's it's healed up, but it was red and crusty, and there were like these little itchy places. Uh, no, show me the box full of ointments, you little freak, and get cotton packing for those big wounds. This can be bad, isn't it? Yeah. So how come you're here? I mean, you could just go, right? Yeah, I did that once before. Before what? Well, there was this other apocalypse this one time. And, well, I took off, but this time, I don't know. I don't know. Well, what's different? Well, I guess I was kind of new to being around humans before. But now I've seen a lot more, gotten to know people, seen what they're capable of. And uh, I guess I just realized how amazingly screwed up they all are. I mean, really, really screwed up in a monumental fashion. Oh. And they have no purpose that unites them. So they just drift around, blundering through life until they die, which they they know is coming. Yet every single one of them is surprised when it happens to them. They're incapable of thinking about what they want beyond the moment. They kill each other, which is clearly insane. And yet here's the thing. When it's something that really matters, they fight. I mean, they're lame morons for fighting, but they do. They never, never quit. So I guess I'll keep fighting too. That was kind of beautiful. You, you love humans. <laughs> I do not. Yes, you do. You love them. Stop it. I don't love them and I'll kill you if you tell anybody. I won't tell anybody. You won't get a chance to anyway. I don't know. You might survive. No, you might survive. You know how to handle a weapon and you've been in this world for like a thousand years. I'm not so... I don't think I'll be okay. I'm cool with it. I think I'd like to finish out as one of those lame humans trying to do what's right. Yeah. So, wheelchair fight? This scene, I I truly love this scene. I, I think we've all already said we love it. Um, Emma, Emma Caulfield's delivery here is just... It's never, she never misses with her delivery. I'm not going to pretend like, oh, she's really good in this scene, but not in others. She's always really good. But I, the... The, like, both, like, kind of panic and kind of love in her voice. Like, even, I mean, we we skipped over it, but previously when 
Andrew is like her and Andrew are exchanging the like alcohol and he's like, everything's terrible. And he tells her, I'm going in and you're coming with me. And she's excited, right? Like she's like smiling and happy and excited. I I just, I love this. Like this feels like a fully formed version of Anya. Um, and Anthony, you have said before that like Anya's story kind of could only really end with her dying, right? Yeah, I think this, and this speech understands that, yes. right? That yes. it is... It is actually one of her best speeches, I think. Yes. Um, she she has sort of recognized the the shanshu of it all, right? Like you must mm-hmm. live until you die, right? Um, and I like that she gets a chance to articulate it. I do think that as much as her death does feel very perfunctory, you have to flash back to this speech to make that death that death's meaning make its sense, right? Like yeah. there is something about the randomness and surprise of death that she articulates here that makes the brutality of it when it happens in the finale matter right Uh, i also really like that it is just andrew having what a gay man's response would be to meeting anya which is like this is the perfect woman right Right? yeah (laughs) i don't think it's an accident it's the meme of like a woman does something totally psychotic like honestly work like that's anya's whole vibe right that's him yeah and i don't think it's an accident either that like when we were all of us pitching the episodes we wish wish this season did a lot of them pivot around andrew because he is kind of he is a breath of fresh air in this season that is otherwise sometimes quite funereal and Anya's story is kind of done right like unfortunately this show can't think of anything for her to do after date Xander yeah Um, right but she is still an amazing character and having Andrew bounce off her is a really smart way to go they're both kind of sociopaths too which is fun (laughs) well and I think it makes it meaningful that in that in Chosen that when she does go down she's fighting alongside Andrew when she does because mm-hmm. it's not it's not you know it's not with Xander it's not really in relation to Xander in any way it yes. allows her her independence and also but though calls back to the scene like you were saying Anthony where the, all of a sudden because Andrew's there in that moment even though it sort of like happens you know there's just chaos and nobody's really looking right. but like her her final stand is alongside him and it makes you sort of mentally remember that scene more readily yeah and And he is her last reader right like he does his propensity for telling stories weaves this version where she heroically saved his life when he tells it to xander which in fact she did not do right (laughs) he recognizes she deserves more attention really that even even xander is capable of giving her yeah which i find really beautiful yeah yeah Yeah. Um, um one thing i love about well one i don't know actually strike that what i'll say is one thing I noticed about this speech that hit me this time hearing it is how Anya spoke about humanity and humanness as brutal and how she kind of draws this parallel to her her demon life. And it, al- it almost gives this, um, how do I say it? It's almost as if she's saying like, she says, like, you know, humans are mean to each other, they kill each other, and she kind of gives this view of, like, demons as, like, we all are different, but we kind of just, like, get along. We just <laughs> we kind of hate right. humanity, and humanity wants to kill us, but we kind of have our shit together, but we just <laughs> live forever. So I actually love it because it does kind of turn this idea on its head of, like, humans are civilized, demons are brutal, like, this kind of, like... Mm. Um, Right. Almost She's Thomas Hobbes. Very, Life is nasty, brutal, and short. Yeah. 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 <laughs> almost turns this dynamic on its head that she has now come to realize that like humans are the nasty, brutal people, but that they there is like something that guides them that's that's larger, I guess, than 
than she had realized. Yeah. Um, so I, I, that was something that struck me about this for the first time that like turning on its head of like, who are the humans and who are the demons? Yeah. Well, it has echoes of two things for me. One of which fairly obviously is her speech in the body when yep. she talks about how uh, it's stupid and it's mortal and it makes no sense. And, you know, uh, I, I can't understand why. And this feels like it's bringing it. Now she does understand why mm-hmm. she, now she, she understands more than she did two years ago. And, I think the body is a more impactful speech. I don't know. I, you can only go so far with me where it's just like humans. They'll just, they keep on trucking along and they'll keep on fighting. And it's just like, I don't, the show, oh, whatever. there's a little bit, it's a little maybe more literal than I want it to be about like the good thing about humans is punch, punch, kick, kick, like that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but which is not really taking too much away from it. But the other thing that it reminds me of is, um, is Age of Ultron actually the end of Age oh. of Ultron when Vision yeah. talks about how oh, yes. um uh you know they're they're do you know Ultron says you know they're doomed to fail and he says yes but I I can't remember the specific line but it's like I I something about just like watching them try uh, there's oh, no ability. something something says something isn't beautiful because it lasts is the right, line right and essentially the sentiment is just like there is value in watching them. Uh, strive and fail a little bit. Right. And uh, that reminded me a lot of this. And I am one of the foremost Age of Ultron apologists. I really love <laughs> I that like movie. it too, actually. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I love, I like, I like the note that that movie ends on in that, uh, at that moment too. So uh, it did remind me of that quite a bit. Um, and I even like Andrew's beat of like, you know, because we've been, this season, we, we've, like, been wavering with, like, he's trying, but he's not doing a good job, but he is trying, um, and he still, like, you know, fucking murdered someone and was, like, you know, uh, in cohorts with this, like, murderer and rapist, but, like, the the beat of, like, him kind of finishing on, I think I'd like to finish out as one of those lame humans trying to do what's right, is, I think, a very nice, like, we don't, you know, we're going into the finale, no one's getting character beats but Buffy, and it's nice for this side character to get that beat of, like, that's where that's like him this season, right? Like that's what yeah. he wants to be doing. And I think that is nice too, to get our like anxious gay, as Anthony said, semi-sociopathic gay character, mm. like actually saying out loud, I do want to do something good. Um, the other and they thing are the is two characters to have that conversation, yes, right? Like yes. they are in a yeah. weird way in peril. They're both the bad guys who have reformed yes. him in a more comic tone, but still. Yeah. And I, you know, and I love that then right after that, he's like, wheelchair fight and then they just like are like being silly together like it's nice to get give those characters they have this like heavy discussion about humanity and then like because they are comic relief too that it's just like okay cool and we had this like serious conversation now we're gonna end on like a very cute silly beat and it's i don't know it's nice the other thing is at the time when this was uh, airing for the first time and being in a buffy fandom at the time the you don't you almost can't imagine the fever pitch of speculation during this last run of episodes mm. for who was going to die and who was going to live by the end of the yeah. show. Because, yeah. uh, and so, and that scene I remember especially was like picked apart like the Zapruder tape, <laughs> where it's just like, what does it mean? Because a lot of the speculation fell upon both Andrew and Anya. Are, is one of them going to die? They both of them sort of felt. 
sort of thematically appropriate. They're, they're everybody, yeah. there was speculation about everybody. Willow and yeah. Xander and Buffy I remember herself. Xander a lot. And, yeah. And, yeah. Everybody was suspected and who's going to die. But that scene, especially, I remember being like, what does it all mean? Does it mean that Andrew's going to die? Does it mean that Anya's going to die? And people were like very certain on both sides of the aisle that just like, RIP, Andrew, like that's the end. He, he's, <laughs> he's, you know, made his final speech or whatever. And then people thought the same thing about Anya. And it, it did bring that back too. this sort of like endless sense of what was happening in these episodes was one thing. And then everything happening in fandom, because that was also Anthony, you brought up the like the balancing of the tables between Angel and Spike mm. by the end there, where it's just like, we got to make sure that we don't like yeah. tip it too much or else yeah. everybody will get mad. And um it was so much else was happening beyond just what was happening on screen. But I mean, to be fair though, I always think um, Matthew, you and Kirsten White always have said this on this podcast that like you both like, don't like the ship is so besides the point of the show, like the shipping arguments and like yeah. whatever that like, I, I, I'm glad they didn't land one way or the other, because I do think it's important that like to be like, that's really not the biggest important part of the show. And I don't understand why so many fans, you know, get so intense about but yeah. spike versus angel and it's like yeah. but that's yeah okay that's a cute like yeah i could be like oh i like spike better i like angel better okay but that's not something i get intense about with the show because i don't care as much about that like and i don't understand someone who watches the show and that's all they care about right like that feels very like why do you why do you care about that so much well i think that and i mean this is the show that taught me this right is that like audiences the audience wants something and the audience needs something and they are often at odds. And I think mm -hmm. that that like the audience wants these characters to have happy endings, but the audience needs these characters to have fulfilled their stories. Right. right. And I think that that can be, that can be something that's hard. To, like, I, I think it is important to think about the way shipping shapes these narratives in the same way it matters think about like the iraq war or the other thing we haven't talked about which is like the two towers right like this season smells of a lot of lord of the rings movies right like <laughs> the Urukai. what do they call them yeah. in this the turakon the yeah and, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, there is a way culture shapes these texts and like like a lot of this season is incomprehensible unless you know how crazy people were going about how Giles hasn't touched something yep. for eight episodes, yep. right? Yep. Like, oh my god, and that's invisible in the text, right? Yeah, I can't yeah. Well, tell you how insane that was at the time. <laughs> where people, again, were just like, just pausing their way through things just like did he brush up against that did this did the, right. did the did that coat move when he walked past it? Like it was just it was crazy. It was right. amazing. So, pop quiz, Anthony. Uh -huh. Why the hell? Why the hell? How does Buffy know where to go to find the Guardian? I I could not tell you. I <laughs> she must have walked past that thing every right? day, right? Like <laughs> I I don't when, know. <laughs> my Slayer return from war. <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, I've been doing that a lot in these last episodes, where I just like I'm like watching it, and I'm like, well, I don't know why this is happening, and then I asked one of the guests because I'm like, does someone else know? And no one ever knows. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of, is it the, I think it's the hieroglyphs, right? Because Willow's and Giles' scene right. ends with them being like, like a thing that might have hieroglyphs on it. And then Buffy suddenly goes to the most hieroglyphy tomb in, yeah. I guess, like, who did they think? I guess, you know what it looks like? It looks like Nick Cage's mausoleum. Have you seen that? <laughs> that no. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cage plans to be buried in a huge pyramid in New Orleans. Oh my God. In one of those above ground cemeteries. And it looks exactly like 
where the guardian seems to be her like one bedroom apartment in the cemetery. Now I know what I'm Googling after this. Um, But okay. So she goes down. I think Buffy looks great in this scene. Um, She goes down, she meets the guardian. The, I I mean, we talked about this already. We don't need to sit on it, but like, Jesus Christ, like this is just awful. Right. (laughs) I, I mean, I, I just, I, as I have said, I, if, if Caleb didn't do it, I would have snapped. You know, It's fucking awful. Like, I'm sorry. No. And like, I can see what they were trying to do. Which is Galadriel from Lord of the Rings. I was, right? <laughs> I was thinking, like, I, I I understand the impulse to take your stylistic cues from Christina Pickles in the Masters of the Universe movie. <laughs> what um, great, great ref. Yes. But um, other than that, I was also kind of baffled that of all the, like, actors that have been in Joss productions in the past. Like I was kind of baffled that this wasn't a, a cameo yeah. of some sort. It could have been Christy Swanson if she wasn't like a right wing <laughs> maniac, right? Like right. that would have been fun actually. Sure. Although, uh, the politic, like let us not, not note that like, so it turns out the source of the Slayer's power is a white lady, right? Like there <laughs> is something a little weird yeah. about that, right? Like we did this halfway around the world and it's like, but you're you're white. <laughs> like, like, I also say that like if I were Buffy and she stepped out by that thing, and she was like we've been watching the Watchers. I would be like, well, where the fuck were you? Yeah, yeah. that line of like we are the final surprise. Just like you can't just like spell it out. Just like we are the third act twist, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, how but many the, the Watchers it? tried to kill me with right. a vampire and like took uh, my mom? What about when the Watchers turned their back on me? What about right. when they came here and put me through a test? Like, like where- also yeah. the scythe wasn't there. Like what? Like you, there's a version where that's the lady who's guarding the scythe, yeah. right? Yeah. Like right. Whereas she's like adjacent to it, like does she look out the window at it? Like I don't. Guarding the scythe, why did you let them excavate it from Africa and bring it to Sunnydale? Like, <laughs> yeah, right. that, that's yeah. Like there's a lot of things. Like when she says we are the ones that, and it's like, well, you didn't do shit for seven seasons. So like, what do you mean you've been watching? Like, but what have you been watching Lifetime? Like, yeah. <laughs> and like, I get what they're, they're trying to do. Like a oh look, it wasn't men. They're trying to right. like very much like force feed you that shit to be like look it really wasn't men behind this but like it still was because whoever these guardian women were didn't do a single thing it's Um, the simpsons episode it's the monorail episode with leonard nimoy and he's just like my work here is done you didn't do anything didn't i and like i just like (laughs) if she's mystical didn't she know that her neck was gonna get snapped right shouldn't she have have not stood behind an open doorway like, and I will say powers? some of this is performance, right? Like this yeah. actress really does not nail any of this speech. <laughs> like there's a version, like Kate Blanchett could give you this speech, right. but yes. <laughs> Kate Blanchett, she ain't right. <laughs> yeah. So Caleb, Caleb comes in and snaps her neck because sure, fine, whatever. Right. Um, it would have even been nicer if that woman hadn't died. Like, I don't know. I don't, it doesn't matter. Um, but I will say, so we're going to, we're going to get into this because we gotta, we gotta keep moving. I do love this fight. I think this is like a very good Buffy fight. Um, And it feels like a little bit more brutal with like the punches and the kicks and like, you know, he's punching through the columns and like knocking it over. I do really like the the choreography here. Um, I don't know how you boys feel. 
I've never noticed choreography in my life. <laughs> good, good for you. Like, <laughs> I do struggle with the set more than anything for me. Is like, I wish this was a bit grander. Like, there's that underground space that Darla confronts Angel in mm-hmm. in one of the early seasons of Angel, like yeah. the reservoir space. I kind of wish we were somewhere like that. Whereas the ceilings are like eight feet high here. There seems to be, a, it's like, I mean, the show has no budget. Like, I can't be mad at them about it, but... Again, though, it does feel like I, I'm I'm struggling to tell whether this is budget stuff at the time or whether this is the digital transfer of this that is sort of showing things in a mm. in a harsher light than than earlier stuff. I don't know. I would have to go back into everything and look. But um, I thought that too at the beginning when the the potentials are all fighting the urukai, as you mentioned. Um, so, right. That, uh, that <laughs> was just like distinct this from looks, the urukai. This yeah. looks <laughs> chintzy. Yeah. I want to mm. do this. I want to do this purely for Joe. This is a gift yes. I want to give Joe. Yes. The woman who plays the guardian. These are her four known fours. Oh, give me. IMDb. Wow. Give me. Murder by Numbers, where she uh-huh. plays Justin's mother. Good movie. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, where she plays Dr. Miriam Tilson. Fantastic. ER, where she plays hospital administrator. <laughs> <laughs> She's <laughs> been there all along, waiting behind the doctors. <laughs> she gives the same speech in all yes. four shows. And, <laughs> and finally, Martin, where she plays Sister no. Tyler. Oh, so she plays like spooky ladies. That's yeah. her deal. Yeah. She like plays so nuns. Those are her okay. known fours. Wow. <laughs> so Buffy doesn't even crack her known four. Well, what's funny what... is on the same year that she was on Buffy, she also had a one episode stint on Charmed uh, as Grandma Calloway. Oh, uh, this go. is a very charmed character, right? Yes. Like, Yes. This is this is this is the thing that I always swore up and down Buffy was not whenever I explained it to somebody. And Listen, like, well, Finola yeah. Hughes takes exception to to your shade <laughs> there, but yes, otherwise, yes. <laughs> but like there's even a weird moment in the choreography of this fight where like he punches her, she goes against a column and then falls backwards. It's very weird. I just yeah. like it feels like a different it's different than a Buffy fight. Um but the next episode opens with this fight again, right? right? Like, I know, yeah. I know. But yeah. so <laughs> then we get I do love hands up. I you know, he's like got her down and then we hear the like hey and then Angel punches him and the way the music that swells and the like the hero focus. cue. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the hero cue. There. It works on me. It works on me a hundred percent. And I'm like, Oh, he's here. Um, and I, it's very nice to, even though I, again, I'm not that big either way shipping. I probably, I'm problematic and probably lean more towards spike, but their dynamic here, you can't pretend it's not good. Right. I do think, it's like, oh, I missed seeing them together. <laughs> All right, Anthony, tell me why I'm wrong. I feel like it's David Boreanaz playing David Boreanaz. I don't feel like this is actually paying off a beat we needed to pay off. I do. It is just like, we're wrapping up the show. Everybody come in for a curtain call. But it emotionally doesn't. I don't know if we needed this. I don't know if he's giving me angel i don't know am i alone maybe i am but no there was something definitely off about this i thought too and again to me it just felt very uh perfunctory and just been uh, very again sort of like balancing those scales and yeah i also didn't remember him showing up before chosen i thought i for whatever reason my brain wrote it that he just sort of shows up in chosen um 
And I think I was sort of writing in the part where he shows up after Joyce dies and he's sort of like in the cemetery there. Yeah, that's um, a better, I love that beat a lot. I also mm. feel like in this whole, if this whole end game has been about the misogynist priests, the uh, priest and, you know, the women who sort of rise up and fight him, it's kind of a little weird that it's that, you know, her ex-boyfriend comes in and is making the save. Yeah. What if, what if the actress who played the guard, the last guardian was Joyce, and you find out the whole time Joyce was. <laughs> Honestly, that yeah. is awful, but why not? Let's. <laughs> she's like, I did not have brain cancer. I just had to leave you. And let's... Or <laughs> it's Jenny Calendar again. Oh like, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then we end on the stupid beat of I, I don't love the, I think it should have just been they kiss. Because I think it's very nice. I I liked the idea. I feel like for me, I'm like, straight people do this too. But like the idea of like (laughs) these exes that have love for each other, but aren't like, that is literally just like the next episode. Spike says, is that just how people say hello? And like, that was kind of just a hello for them. I don't think we needed Spike to be there. It does make sense that he would follow her to make sure she's okay. I did not need the first being like that bitch because it doesn't matter. We could have just had the reveal of she comes home with the medallion and Spike's like, I can smell him on you. I know you're making out with Angel. And it would have the same impact because it doesn't matter. Um, it's an odd beat. Like, yeah, right? In that it does not pay off. Like there's a version, like they would never let happen because see above Reese Buffy shippers. But like right. Right. if Spike had turned into the twist, like big bad, he's like misogyny relapses here. That would have been a reason to have that twist. I don't know if it would have been a good one, but like this literally goes nowhere, right? Well, like and, and that bitch is the extent of it. There was, uh, when we were talking in the Xander uh, Dawn scene, there was more reason to think that the show would have turned Xander unexpectedly evil than there would have been to ever believe that they would have allowed Spike to be bad by the end of the show. If you were at all, especially at this point, it's insane yeah. to like try and fake out the audience like that. I felt insulted. I was just like, absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> it should have just been Buffy. The last episode is Buffy kills every male character on the show. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Chasing he's, down Clem as he's running down. He kills every single male character on the show. <laughs> yeah. Except Andrew, who's allowed to live. <laughs> and now with a fashion roundup for end of days, we have season seven costume designer Matt Van Dyne. Hello, Matt. Hi, hi, everyone. We're here. We're, it's the second to last episode. It's almost the end of days, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is the end of days, but not quite. Yeah. <laughs> almost the end of days. Can, can you believe right now we have done 20 episode recordings together? That's a lot. Have we really done that many? Oh, my goodness. You've been so patient with me, Matt. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You've been patient with me. But uh, I just, I'm, I'm thrilled that I can disclose as much as I have been able to, you know, to just give you a little more insight into what my department did for this, this season, you know, for the show though. Yeah. So I'm amazed I have as much information as I do in my record. Matt, I am too. You, you, I remember when we started, you were like, Oh, I don't know that I'll have that much. And then you're like, well, I got the script. I got the, the well, sheets. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, like I said, I put it away in the garage for about 18 years Yeah. <laughs> and I guess, you know, I never really revisited it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, then when, you approached me about this. I thought, well, I don't know what I have, but, <laughs> but then, yeah, you know, as it turns out, I had a lot more than I thought and, and being able to watch the episodes of course helps, you know, because that stirs yeah. my memory a little bit, you know, about what 
there have been a couple episodes where you're like, oh, I don't remember that one, but then you've yeah, watched it and been like, oh, yeah, yep, now I remember. And then I'll yeah. go, I remember that. And then, yeah. but you know, like watching this episode when I saw um, Emma mm-hmm. in her uh, little black floral, you know, Which sweater. I love, I love that woven. sweater. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. And uh, I was like, thrilled that i found that it it was um the way well i was thrilled too in the episode that they photographed it from behind because that's where it showed so beautifully with i think she's with tom yeah uh in that in that scene you know she's on the left he's on the right as i recall Mm. but um but yeah the the back of that sweater is so beautiful and that came from neiman marcus and uh that was like uh uh 300 i have about 350 350 dollars sure. for that yeah mm-hmm. so we spent a lot of money on that i spent mm-hmm. a lot of money on emma overall i really did i yeah. i um well you really like dressing like, her right i did she was like my little fashion thing that could just be anything <laughs> and that's what i loved about her her character and also emma was so beautiful mm. and is so beautiful that um that i could just put her in just about anything yeah. And and there weren't really any limits to how I could dress her. You know, yeah. it was like I could do fashion forward, you know, funky, uh, you know, just anything. And that was that was what was fun. So that was a that was a great character to play with and she was a great person to work with. So that that always helped too. And <laughs> You know that she you, you put her in a lot of good outfits this season. I will say I like a lot of them, but weirdly, this always even though she only wears this briefly, that stands briefly. out to me. Like Doesn't I think it? of that, yeah, yeah, it does. It you know I love that one, and I loved I love that little pearl uh, embossed uh, short sleeve pale blue sweater she wore. I love that too on her. I thought she looked so cute. I think that mm-hmm. was couple episodes ago but yeah i remember you talking about that yeah one. did we talk about yeah that, but, but i, I love that that on her i thought she but yeah no she was just a joy just a total joy to mm. to dress and to uh do uh all kinds of things with you know and i think i looked at the um you know believe it or not on my dvd collection i had never looked at the uh as it outtakes i guess is what they okay. call it and uh but I saw I saw Emma, you know, in uh, uh, so many different outfits, and one of them was go- going back to the earlier in the season when she wore that custom made uh, dress. The one that you didn't dress. like? <laughs> well, I liked it, but I just thought it had an issue that you know that there was an issue with uh, something on it that I never. I don't think I ever disclosed what I thought it was. But I was waiting for you to say in no, case you were no, going. I'm to not going to say it. I'm not going to say it just yet. But well, maybe I could for this since we're at the end. I just thought the collar could have been made better on it. That was it, what bothered you. Yes, it was the collar, not the C O L O R. Beautiful print, but the C O L L A R. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I'm a stickler for certain uh, uh, details and, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in real life, I can make people crazy, you know, with that. (laughs) Sometimes I try not to, but you know, I, as I tell them, it's not fun being this way. (laughs) You know, it's not not like, Oh boy, I'm going to, you know, notice, you know, but it's just something about when I encounter something I design or do like that, mm. that, you know, and if it's off, that will bother me. Uh, yeah. 
you know, to, to like the, forever till the, till the right. end of days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the end of days. It will bother me. <laughs> but uh, but in this episode too, you know, speaking of spending a lot of money for Giles, uh, his name cardigan was a Ralph Lauren cardigan, which photographs beautifully. Which now maybe to the average viewer, it just looks navy blue. But I see, <laughs> I see the weave. And the mm. detail of that cardigan when we do close-ups on the incident, okay. and and I just love how that looked, you know, the 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 cross weave on that cardigan, and it was uh, it was uh, nine hundred dollars from Shit. Uh, from Saks Saks Fifth Avenue. A lot of his clothes, most of his clothes, either came from Saks or Neiman's. Hmm. I, everything, pretty much, even his T-shirts were Armani usually, or there was just something about him that required that. And, <laughs> and right. well, being the authoritarian figure that he was, right. uh, you know, in, in the character and, you know, the way, and, and he wore clothes so well, so beautifully, mm-hmm. you know, it was a joy to dress him. And I, I noticed his uh, tan suede coat and that was, um, or his coat or like a jacket kind of thing. And it was, uh, it was from Saks and that was $500. And that was an Andrew Mark, which Andrew Mark is still around. Thank goodness. This, at least last I, I checked it was, mm. but, but then I noticed it like, you know, for his t-shirts and th- I think there were some stunts maybe involved in this episode for him. Cause I think I had a, some notes for stunt doubles for them. And uh, there was a lot of <laughs> multiples for Armani T-shirts, which were one hundred and twenty-five dollars a piece. Which at that time, and still to me, is yeah, a lot say to pay. still, yeah, <laughs> still to me is a lot to pay for a T-shirt. Yeah, you know. But uh, the way things drape on uh, the fabric of a one hundred and twenty-five dollars T-shirt, you you get the bang for the buck on screen because it looks so nice. It, it, yeah, it drapes so well. And I noticed uh, there was. I had a note for Sarah's when Sarah finally changes clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I say, this episode she wears a new outfit. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> she finally changes clothes. Um, a denim jacket, which we've talked about before. <laughs> you know, I love the denim jackets, Matt. Well, well that's good because we, we. But you know, she does look so good on them. She, she really is. does, and they they do work for what's going on in the story and what's mm-hmm. in the scene. But I, I had a note on her olive green pants. And first, when I saw that in my records, I thought, well, where is she wearing an olive green pants? So I went back and I watched this episode mm-hmm. repeatedly in slow motion. And, and then, <laughs> you know, and then, okay, I, you know, there it is. I see. At the end, I, yeah. I see. You I can see. always text me and ask me that because I have to be like, oh, very <laughs> end. <laughs> oh, you're so good. I know. I can ask you questions. What? Now, what happens in this episode? You know, <laughs> yeah. I want to make sure I get it right. And then I also had a note for uh, Sarah. And I think it's what she's wearing underneath her jacket. Okay. I have um, now I did spend quite a bit on those. And that was a favorite designer of Sarah's. And one of mine was Stella McCartney. Okay. And uh, Stella McCartney who does beautiful clothing. And there were two blouses and they were uh, $530 a piece. So mm. somehow we got by probably with the stunt maybe for less you know so okay i probably you know fudged that a little bit and and that's easier when she's wearing a jacket right like yeah yeah Yeah. exactly exactly and there is amazing stunt work in this in this episode i mean i i was watching i mean these fights i mean it's incredible and 
there are so so many stunts, and and of course, in purchasing for all of the people you know involved in these shows, you know a lot of the money goes to multiples for all of the stunts. So, um, oh, and I, I wanted to mention that Sarah's blouses came from a, a store. It was a boutique here in LA called Maxfield. Is where oh, it came from. And but but yeah, the stunt work. But like I said, for the stunt, we probably if we're going to rip a jacket up the back or whatever, right. we're not going to rip a five hundred thirty dollar <laughs> Stella McCartney blouse apart. So I'm sure we came up with something else. And, and there was something I noticed in this episode, and I don't know where I bought it, but so I have a hunch it was uh, Iari's um, Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was her little soldier. I don't know if you can tell that that's what it is. It's a little tank top that she wears under her jacket. Okay. It's, it's like a blue, and it, mm-hmm. and the um, the um, the the figure on it is it's like a soldier holding a gun. Oh. And huh. and it, it, you know I don't know if well maybe there are some fans out there that pick that up, but <laughs> I have a feeling that might have come from Urban Outfitters. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure. But I, I I always like that. I, I remember I I thought oh that's so clever you know on, <laughs> on, on screen, and um and uh, then I I found a note where I uh, D B Woodside I bought his his silver hoop earrings at, at Nordstrom, <laughs> and I, I'm surprised that I came across that. That kind of surprised me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then for Xander, I have a brown suede jacket. I think he puts that on over maybe a denim shirt or something, I believe. I think so, yeah. And yeah, that denim shirt. Now, I don't know where that came from, but I like that shirt. I didn't love, I'll just be honest with the fans, I didn't love that it appeared in the scene opposite Sarah mm-hmm. with when she's wearing the Buffy jacket or the denim jacket. Yeah. I didn't love that because I don't like doing that usually on camera, putting them in something oh, like similar. similar. Yeah. They they were different, but they were for my for me a little too similar, but maybe not for everybody else. But and probably what happened is that sometimes things change in the middle of shooting. Yeah. yeah. And you know, you just kinda have to go with it because in continuity, that's right. what he would be wearing. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there was probably a change because usually I was pretty good about not putting I, I I would set up a rack, basically. And this is something I guess I never discussed. This is kind of interesting, maybe mm. for everyone. But I would set up the rack, and I would set the scenes and the characters. And then I would put the clothing together, all together on the rack for the scene to make sure okay. that things would not overlap or double or, oh, you know, that and is then, interesting, Matt. And yeah. Then, and yeah. And then I would ha- sometimes have to move that outfit down the rack because it would appear in other scenes and go, okay. Cause you can imagine this is kind of like doing a Rubik's cube basically. And you're, you know, like, well, does it work here? Oh yeah. It works here. Oh, but wait, it won't work down here because they're wearing that, you know? So, you know, so it, it really is like a, a massive puzzle to put together. And I would, I would do that for every episode. I, I learned that many years before about setting up scenes and, yeah. and uh, making sure that we didn't, you know, you know, double. Well, yeah, Buffy wasn't your first rodeo. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't. No. And, uh, 
and but as I've said before, I've sure been uh, privileged to dress so many wonderful, wonderful mm. actors and wonderful people. I mean, just uh, my experience with everyone, I I, I would yeah. say. 99.9% of the time has just been terrific. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's nice. Um, of course there are a few glitches here and there <laughs> along the way, but, but usually, you know, to be honest, I don't know if I said this before, but <laughs> well, this, I had this, this reputation that they would ask for me to come in if there was a difficult actress. And <laughs> I don't know why that was. I don't know if it's a personality thing, but for me, I wasn't. Um, I, I didn't run into much difficulty with most people because it, it, I don't know if my personality just you know blended with theirs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but also you know I would listen to them and yeah. listen, listen, listen. That was you know so important. Of course, I knew going in that they must have had an issue, you know, or else they wouldn't have called me, you know, to come, you know. So, but I didn't find anybody really that that extremely difficult you know just you know just listen to them and try to work with them and and try to make them understand and know and feel secure that i always had their best interest in mind which i did i never sabotaged anyone yeah because why would you do that you're only sabotaging the product the work and then ultimately Yourself, I would sabotage right? myself. Yeah. yeah that yeah, would be yeah. ridiculous. I would never yeah. do such a thing. <laughs> and then of course, one of the biggest things in this episode to me was the character, uh, the she, they called her, but in the original <laughs> script, you know, that's when Buffy encounters her and yeah. she tells Buffy who she is, you know, in, in this cave or whatever. And I remember this, I remember this so vividly doing, doing that uh, part of the episode okay. was that in the original script, it says that she is like a Miss Haversham character from, is that great expectations? I believe. Oh really? Yeah. From, um, huh. you know, Dickens. Yeah. And, and she's dusty all in white and to blend in with the backgrounds. Well, somewhere along the way that changed, of course. Now the production designer, the, you know, must have, or they came up maybe at the, after the fact, I don't have that note, but somehow I knew because I have in my notes in the script to uh, do earth tones. I think we must've discussed this at the production meeting and changed our minds about it all. Hmm. And, to do earth tones and, you know, and I, I knew that the, the, uh, the scenic design was going to be kind of okay. like that, but I wasn't exactly sure. I wasn't definite about what colors he would use, but I knew they would be earth tones. So when I went to design, I remember I, w- I came directly from the pr- production meeting back to my desk in my office and I sat down, I had, you know, a sheet of paper. I still have, the the original sheet of paper and the design and i had a pencil i didn't have all my color markers or whatever to color mm-hmm. but i i just designed from my mind what i thought that character would be i didn't have any references or anything huh. like that and i just i just did a simple sketch and well not so simple i guess basically but but I knew that I wanted it to look, 
you know, kind of timeless in a way. Yeah. And have. I mean, honestly, I can see the Miss Havisham influence there still. Now you can, yes, but not in white. I didn't get the white reference in the script. But yeah. And so I remember in making it, I just told uh, Shirley, who was uh, my uh, seamstress, she took she took all the fabric. We went shopping for fabric immediately, and I think we went to FNS Fabrics on the west side. And I and might have also stopped at the other uh, fabric store on the way home on Beverly, and gave her all the the stuff. And I said, "Rip it here, do this to it, <laughs> you know, shred it here." And she brought it back to me, and we fit the actress in it almost immediately, and. I remember, you know, going to the set and I had not seen, you know, the set yet, Mm -hmm. you know, the cave. Oh, like where she was going to be. Yes. And I walked in and I went, oh my God, it was like meant to be. It was just Mm -hmm. like everything melded. And I was, you know, it was a beautiful set, the beautiful colors of the set design. And I loved how the, um, the shimmery fabric photographed. For her, it was like this tattered-looking um, uh, moire kind of a taffeta sheath that we put under these things that I had gathered on her shoulders, and and I had the medallions on each side, and it just came together so beautifully. And I was just always so happy with that that uh, character and uh, the way it turned out. And Unfortunately, she didn't last very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she bit the dust pretty fast. And and then the arrival, the other memory I have in, in this episode is the arrival of Angel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll save that for later, but most of it. But I, what, I have a specific memory. Of, I had not met him before. Now, I had worked at Paramount Studios right next uh, to uh, the soundstage where they were shooting Angel, but I, you know, I had I was working on a show called That's Life at the time okay. with uh, Debbie Mazar and uh, you know okay. a lot of different you know uh, Ellen Burstyn was in that show mm-hmm. a lot of you know but we were you know separate from Angel so I never met David before and I have a vivid memory of walking in to my office. And before you go into my office, you entered the, uh, the we had a, like a general area. And there were two chairs, I can remember this so well, with a little table between them, two chairs sitting off to the right side as I walked in and David was sitting there. And I thought, oh, that's David, you know. And, and, and then, we, you know, we began to discuss, you know, what, you know, he would wear for, you know, the upcoming. Yeah you know, episode. So, but that, but I have a definite memory of that of end of days, but, uh, but those are yeah pretty much uh, my memories for this episode. Cool. And uh, it's sad to say there's only one more to go. Only one left. <laughs> only one to go. <laughs> well, thank you, Matt, so much. Thank you. And I'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Uh, favorite outfit, Joe. Uh, I love I love Buffy in a denim jacket moment, but I do want to commemorate uh, this run of Faith's lowlights in this return to the show era. Mm. I feel like it was it. I guess they communicate a 
a softer faith or something, a, a reformed faith mm, manifests itself right under that in, darkness. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Anthony, favorite outfit? Uh, love a priest in black jeans. You knew I was going to say it. <laughs> you know, Especially if he's got goop coming out of his face. I, I didn't, but I should have. You're right. I should have. <laughs> uh, Matthew? I know you asked for a short answer, but I'm the former co-host and I'll give whatever answer I want, which is, you know, so I just feel like in season seven, there aren't that many outfits that stand out to me. Honestly, See, my favorite outfit is I love Buffy in her uh, denim jacket. I just... Love the denim jacket. I think Buffy looks fantastic for that final scene. But I do want to say a close second is I do think Anya looks really cute in that. Like her hair looks good in this episode too. Her hair went on a rough journey in season seven, but it ended up pretty nice place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Favorite scene, Anthony. I guess it's the hospital scene. I guess that's the beat that feels most emotionally honest to me and has the most juice in it. I like, and both characters have something to say. I like that scene. Joe. Agreed. It's the hospital scene. Yeah. Matthew? Um, Hospital, yeah. Same same for me. Um, I do say a close second is uh, I like Buffy and Faith scene, but the Anya and Andrew scene is the best. Um, What grade do we give the episode, Matthew? Ugh. Ugh. Two two out of five snapped necks. (laughs) (laughs) Joe? I mean, Anya and Andrew do raise the uh, the grade a little bit. Also, by the way, I said lowlights when I meant highlights. Don't don't at me. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Anya and Andrew raise the grade a little bit, but I can't. I'm I'm going to give it a generous C plus. Oh, all right, uh, Anthony. What's your F grade that you give it? No, I I feel bad because I, as I said, I don't know why I feel like I have to belabor this, but I love this show. I just feel like season seven. It's I I honestly struggle to understand what it is actually saying. Like at a at a textual basis, I feel like an idiot every time I watch it. Like I guess I'm supposed to learn that war is hard, but people make the calls they have to make, and kids die. And it's like I guess, um, um, yeah. At, at an emotional level, I don't. I, I guess I'm at a C plus Joe uh, with Joe on this one. Okay. Um, Anthony, I, I think the lesson of season seven can be summed up by saying war. Hmm. What is it good for? That reference only makes me think of, and I feel like Joe's the only one that will care about this. I've been watching a lot of Seinfeld so lately. Yep. When Elaine, <laughs> yep. yeah, that's all that makes me think of is when Elaine is title of War and Peace. Peace. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when she tells Yuri Tistikov, and he like freaks out. Um, but okay, so uh, I, I, I give this episode an A only because I, I think of all my grading the way Anthony <laughs> of it. Wait, I think of it the way Anthony thinks of grading, where it's you think like, does it achieve what it's trying to do? And I, it's not a favorite episode, but I think this and Touched achieve what it's been trying to do for a lot of the season, where it didn't achieve it, where it's like we're getting emotional beats, um, and that's all it's trying to do is is move the emotional beats around so we get them leading into the finale. But did um, we like? She stun guns Xander, and we're like, that's I don't know. I don't want to undermine your uh, your grading methodology is your own. <laughs> I don't want to undermine, but I'm gonna undermine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. So for me, that's the only reason I would give it an A. I was thinking like B plus A. Um, you all almost convinced me to go down to a C, and then I was like, no, I'm gonna stick to my grading. Mm. Um, but no, I that's the only reason why because I think it moves for me. Like the we get the spike angel spike and Buffy beats, we get the Buffy Angel beat, we get the Buffy Faith beat, we get uh, the Anya Andrew beat, and for me those 
achieve what they're trying to do. The plot stuff is still messy. Um, and I don't know what it's even achieving if it achieves anything. Um, but yeah, no, I think the emotional beats are there. And for me, that's like the importance, the important stuff. Um, all right. Well, thank you boys for joining me. It was so great having all three of you back, um, for this chaotic recording. Um, if you like Slayerfest 98, you can find us at Slayerfest X98 on all social media platforms. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other places you get your podcasts. And if you want to support us, you can support us on Patreon, where you get access to all our bonus episodes. We are starting Harley Quinn Season 2 next month. We're going through What If as well. Um, and if you want to follow me, I am at Ian X Carlos. Anthony, where can everyone find you? Uh, I am at Mia Koopa, bad Latin Super Mario joke uh, on Twitter and uh, I don't know, Instagram, IAnthonyOlivera.com. And uh, I'm on Patreon doing the Devil's Party podcast as well. And Joe, where can everyone find you? Uh, at Joe Reed, Reed is R-E-I-D uh, on Twitter, and, and that'll send you to all the places you need to go to. And Matthew, where can everyone find you? In their dreams. <laughs> 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 oh, no, I mean, that was, I mean, no, that was supposed to be good dreams, but or oh, not Frank at Matthew Rodriguez, Matthew with one T Rodriguez with a G and a Z on Twitter. All right, cool. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.